Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That was precious. Precious time in the Word with music. Hey, it's good to see you all here on Saturday night as we gather, get through there. Let's see if I can get here without wrecking everything. Um, I trust you uh, had a good day. And uh, so we're ready to settle in tonight and just uh, spend a little time in the Word of God, which is uh, kind of one of my favorite things, so I, I hope it is for you all as well. You know, uh, it's been uh, 15 years ago tomorrow, uh, September 11th, 2001, four terrorists, uh, uh, you know, their attacks came against the United States by... A uh, crazy group. Um, there's always crazy groups around, and they're still around. But uh, that attack really uh, killed uh, almost 3,000 people and uh, injured another more than 6,000 people. And and the Twin Tower buildings were hit. Uh, the Pentagon was hit. Uh, of course, the plane went down in the field, which spared more loss of lives. And and our country was really changed in an instant. Uh, George Bush's presidency was changed. The whole direction of where we went as a nation was changed. And we began this war on terror. And this war on terror still rages on today. Uh, And and it's amazing how every single one of us had our lives changed in some way. Even if you weren't alive then, or you were just a baby, your life is different than it was before then. Uh, when you think about all the scrutiny at the airports and you think about uh, just kind of the, the general level of anxiety in our country to realize that, that our country could be hit and we could be uh, taken into uh, really a, a difficult, scary position by terrorists and, uh, and everything kind of changes. And it's amazing how... Fear becomes one of the predominant characteristics of our society today, even 15 years later. This one event comes and changes history. And really, you know, we see that a lot. We see that a lot. If you study history, you see that often there's, there's seemingly little events, sometimes big events, but they, they change history in dramatic ways. There's wars, and change of power, there's, there's inventions that change how we live. Uh, there's, uh, you know, this whole sense of some crimes may change history in some way, certain deaths of people or certain births or certain jobs, um, certain leaders can really come in and impact the world and impact the world around them. And so I, I think the question I really want us to think about tonight as we launch into this new study is how do we have peace when there are so many events that come into our lives that cause uncertainty, that cause fear, that cause pain. And, uh, and so, Father, we come to you right now and just ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit. Uh, I pray that you would just uh, take away all the distractions that are racing through our minds and uh, give us these, these moments to hear from you and your word and that we would clearly hear from you and that you would just get me out of the way and I pray, Father, that each person that leaves this place tonight would be thinking about Jesus Christ and you alone and that your name would be exalted, your name would be lifted on high 
And we just want to give you the glory for our chance to study about you. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and I will say that there is nothing more significant in history, the whole history of the world, uh, than the reason really we gather here tonight, and that's to celebrate Jesus Christ, because history revolves around Christ. So uh, each person who has ever walked on this planet, literally billions of people, their lives, their eternity depends on what they have done with this man, this God, Jesus Christ. And you can have peace, you can have joy in the midst of terror. You can have peace, you can have joy in the midst of pain, in the midst of bankruptcy, in the midst of deaths of loved ones, uh, in the midst of cancer or some disease that could be taking your life, in the midst of all kinds of relationship troubles. Somehow you can have peace and you can have joy if we just get this right, just get this right about Jesus Christ. You see, the most significant decisions you will ever make are surrounding what are you going to do and what are you going to believe about Jesus Christ. And I would say that most people living on this planet, I would say most people in this city, um, maybe even most people in this room, uh, simply don't believe that's true. We just don't believe that's true. And you can kind of tell by our thoughts and by our actions. You can kind of tell by what drives us. You see, we think the biggest decisions are, are, are where we're going to live, where we're going to work, you know, what we're going to do for an education and a career, uh, who we're going to marry, uh, if we're going to get married, if we're going to have children, what happens with our children, how we're going to save money, how we're going to spend money. All these big decisions. And they are all big decisions, and they all are life-changing decisions, and they all have an impact uh, on where we go. But they all fall behind, fall behind, what are you doing with Jesus Christ? Because you see, until Christ becomes the ultimate in your life, uh, you will be stressed out, and you will be, at times, very angry and bitter and fearful because of the uncertainties that surround everything else that you're trying to base your life on. And if that, that basis isn't on Jesus Christ, the rock, everything else is uncertain. And that leaves us with this fear. And that leaves us with this guilt. And that leaves us with this rejection. And that leaves us with all these things that we struggle with day in and day out. You know, it's, and it's hard for us to accept, though, that the biggest decision is what we do with Christ. You know, you think about marriage, for example, or my wife and my kids, and I love Marsha, and I love our kids, and... And to somehow think that it should be more important for me to love Jesus Christ and to love the Lord than it is to love my wife or to love my kids just doesn't make a lot of sense in our society. Uh, but the truth is, uh, if I worship my wife and I worship my kids, I just can destroy that relationship. And, and the truth is, is, is they're never been in a place that God intended them to be in my life. I put them in the place of God, and they are not gods. There's only one God. And when I worship Christ, when I surrender to him all of a sudden, and I allow him to love my wife through me and my kids through me, they get to experience true love because God is love. And apart from him, you can't experience love. You can't experience life. So if you get right with Jesus Christ, and this is not just like a one-time thing, okay, 
there is this one-time thing, of course, of being born again and having the Spirit come within us. But when you get right with Christ, it's like a day-by-day kind of surrender to him. Then everything else in life falls in place. And the history of this world, and I tell you, the history of your life revolve around Jesus Christ. You just don't know it. But it's the truth. So we're starting this new series, which I'm really excited about down here. And on Sundays as well, we're looking at uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, really, uh, it's, it's fun to look at the Gospel of Mark. And it's fun to look at a Gospel. I'll tell you a little bit about <laughs> why we're doing that here in a minute. But, but uh, it's just uh, really fun to look at the words and works of Jesus Christ. And each week, we're going to kind of look at Jesus is... Uh, as kind of the sub-theme, because that's really the essence of what uh, life is about. And I think uh, trying to get this back to the sense of who Christ is in my life makes everything else work together. So I just want to read one verse, and uh, we'll dig in. If you have your Bibles or smartphones or whatever, jump into the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. And I think you'll get the essence of what Mark is trying to tell us tonight about who Jesus is. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a lot packed into that sentence. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, there's four different gospels. Matthew was uh, probably written first, and then Mark uh, followed around 50 AD. Later came Luke and finally John, but these were eyewitnesses' accounts. These were kind of like the oral histories. Uh, Many people were still alive decades after Jesus Christ had died and risen again. And so they were just sharing their accounts. They're sharing what they saw. And so the Bible, of course, contains like 66 books, uh, covers about 40 uh, different authors, covering about 1,600 years of history. And, And for us, it's hard to get our hands around the fact that it covers this much time because... And to think that there's somehow this harmonious story that goes through the whole scripture, which it does. You know, you can go back, what were you doing in 2001, September 11th? Most of us my age or around our age uh, know where we were when those things happened. But very uh, uh, seldom do we remember really what happened 15 years ago. And much less think about what happened 100 years ago and how our world was different 100 years ago than it is today. And then just keep going back and you think about how different the world was uh, as the scripture was first unfolded until the canon closed over those 1,600 years. It's amazing how different the world was. And yet there's this still, this harmonious story. It's God's story of creation, of how he designed us with a, with a body and a soul and a spirit, of how, how sin marred mankind's really relationship with God and separated us from God, and how Adam and Eve chose really to doubt the goodness of God and to go their own way. And uh, they pass that on to each one of us. And so we all tend to do the same thing, to try and take care of ourselves first and to worry about ourselves first rather than focus on God first. And there's death and there's separation from God, but this God is a gracious God and we get to see that his story is a story about redemption. We need a redeemer. We need someone to come in and pay the price for what we've screwed up. Of course, the wages of sin is death and it required the sinless sacrifice. So God sends his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice. And he lives as a man on earth. He's crucified for crimes he didn't commit, but you did. And he rose from the grave. 
And he lives to give you life. To restore your relationship with this God. And he's coming again to reign over all. And all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired. These are God's word written through his people. They're without error in the original writings. They're inspired by Almighty God. And what's fun about Mark as a gospel, oftentimes we don't spend as much time in Mark, it seems, but what's fun about Mark is it's just fast-paced. It's just action-packed. Uh, the word immediately appears over 40 times in the gospel. Uh, Mark's written to the Romans, uh, to Gentiles, or mostly non-Jews, okay? And these guys have become Christians and gals, and, and, and this is God's story. And so Mark, he was a translator for the apostle Peter. Uh, Mark was one of the original 12 apostles, but most of Mark's gospel is, is Peter's eyewitness account. I think it's really fascinating when we think about Peter and who he was and how he was the leader and, and to think about this is like capturing his eyewitness account. And Mark is really sharing the story of the words and works of Jesus Christ experienced through Mark, but also experienced through Peter. And Mark is blunt. He's just in your face. Uh, he basically just comes out and says, this is who Jesus is. This is what he claimed. This is what he did. Are you going to receive him or reject him? Your choice. That's Mark. And believe me, it's not too late for any one of us to receive him, to rely on him. And so Peter is this leader, and uh, you, you see the truth of the scripture in so many different ways, but one beautiful way is they're not trying to, to cover up their misdeeds. He was the, the leader who's this failure, of course. We know he cursed Jesus in public. He denied him. And only really Peter could tell the story, and he does. And Peter finds forgiveness through Christ, and he becomes the leader of the church. And so Mark challenges us, do we believe the truth about Jesus Christ? And so that's, that's really the, the challenge uh, for you tonight. And it's simply for you. It's between you and God. Uh, it's not about me and you. This is between you and God. Okay? Do you believe what Jesus Christ has says is true or not? And, and I hope that haunts you. And I hope that you take seriously the things that God brings to your mind. So, very beginning, you catch how the very first thing that, that Mark wants us to do is to listen to the good news, and he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel is a message of salvation. Uh, it's how one can be made right before a perfect God. Uh, so that's really, to his original readers even, to the Hebrew people of the day, it was like, the arrival of God, the Messiah, has finally come, and he's finally coming to rule. That's really what they were talking about when they were talking about this good news. The prophet Isaiah said this, Get yourself up on a mountain, O Zion, hearer of news. Lift your voice. Lift your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. He goes on. In Isaiah 52, and it says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. It says to Zion, your God reigns. Okay? 
So to the Hebrews, to the, to the, 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 to the Jewish Christians even, this was all about the fact that, hey, the Messiah is coming. The good news, the gospel's coming, the Messiah's coming. They were excited about that. Of course, they thought he was going to come and reign uh, like a king. But even to the Romans, they used to use that word, and they would use it to describe the arrival of a king, of a great king, of Caesar to them. And they would use that, that word to describe when the king was coming. So gospel is good news, and in, in most of our world today, most people would say, that's nice, and so what? Yeah, so what? We're pretty callous to hearing that. We're callous to hearing about Jesus Christ. So what? So what if he's coming? Still had 9-11. Still a lot of people dying today from terrorist attacks. And you see, to experience this, this new life and this new era and to experience this peace and this love that comes from the gospel, to experience this joy at Almighty God, you have to know him through Christ. You have to know him in an intimate way. So the beginning of the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus is Yeshua. It means Yahweh is salvation. Um, and his title was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He was sent by God to rule. He was the king. Okay, uh, King of kings, yes. Lord of lords, yes. But the king. And also he's the son of God. One in nature with God. You have this divinity, you have the Father, God the Son, you have God the Holy Spirit, they're this trinity, they're one in essence, but they're three persons. And so you see with God this unity and this, this diversity, and, and he kind of exhibits perfect relationship. So that's what we're getting here. We're getting this good news that Jesus Christ, okay, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, salvation, the Messiah is coming, that, that God is coming. The Son of God is coming to the earth. And most people say, so what? So what? You see, for somehow, it's like this distant thing to us. We're callous to this. We fail to lose the fact that this is what history is all about, because we think history is all about me. Right? It's all about me and my world. It's all about what happens to me and my friends. It's all about me and my kids, me and my wife. That's what history is about. Wrong. This is what history is about. And the Son of God is coming. And the first half of the book of Mark, we'll see, he just kind of proves by his words and by his works that Jesus Christ, he is the coming king. And there's kind of this break in the middle where Jesus asks the apostles, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And everything kind of changes. And the second half then of Mark really shows how Jesus is coming to reign. He is the king, but he's not coming to reign as you expect him to reign. But instead, he's coming as a servant. He's coming as a sacrifice. He's coming as an atonement to pay for your sin. He's coming as your redeemer. And sadly, even though... This is the God, the almighty God, the all-powerful God of the universe. And he's saying, he's coming, and he's coming as your redeemer. Most people say, so what? But you see, the God who wants to give you life, eternal life, is just calling you to himself. 
it's an amazing thing to understand what he's saying when he's saying, listen to the good news. And then he goes on and Mark says, listen to the messenger. Chapter 1, verse 2 says that it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger, comes before your face, he will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, make ready for the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John the Baptist appears in the wilderness and he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judah was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locust and honey. And he was preaching and he was saying, after me is one coming who is mightier than I. One who am I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Listen to the messenger. You see, Jesus and John, they uh, had been informally introduced in the womb, actually. And uh, Mary, who, of course, is the mother of Jesus Christ, uh, was related to Elizabeth, who is the mother of John. And so, in the book of Luke, chapter 1, it says, Mary uh, went in a hurry when she found out she was pregnant, and she goes to the hill country to the city of Judah, and she enters the house of Zacharias and was greeted by Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth, this is John's mom, heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was almost like in the womb, John knew the Messiah was coming. And she cried out with a loud voice and she said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And you could kind of imagine this relationship over the years as they're related and you can kind of get together as the boys grew up and, and they have their family gatherings and of course, what do they want to talk about? They're talking about their kids, right? Kind of want to brag about their kids and, and you can imagine what Elizabeth would say about John as he grew up. Uh, and uh, what Mary would say about her boy, Jesus. And as time goes on, they, they would talk about their kids and their exploits, and of course, Mary would, Elizabeth would say that John's still living in the wilderness. You know, um, <laughs> that's where he hung out. He was uh, passionate about the things of God. He wore a camel hair, and leather belt, that's how he dressed. That's my boy. He ate locusts, he ate honey. And maybe, maybe she understood, but maybe she didn't. But John, he was dressed like the ancient prophets, like Elijah. That's how they dressed. You see, John identified with the prophets, not with the people. He lived like a prophet. He was a prophet, and he, he identified with them. And John's called to prepare the way. The king is coming. This king is coming. This Messiah is coming. In Isaiah chapter 40, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord of the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi chapter 3 says, behold, I am sending out my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly appear and come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming. 
You see, the Lord's going to send his messenger before him. The king that the messenger announces, God is saying, is going to be me. Almighty God is coming. And most people say, so what? But John understood. John understood. And you can imagine what Mary would say as she asked about Jesus. Well, how's he? Still perfect. <laughs> Did anything wrong yet? Nope. <laughs> Another decade passes. Did anything wrong yet? Nope. <laughs> Still perfect. That's my boy. <laughs> you can imagine what it was like to have your son be the son of God. And, uh, and here's John announcing that he's coming. And in verse 7 and verse 8, you see he's pre- John is preaching repentance from sin. And he's saying, confess your sin. The Messiah is coming. And John baptized with water, but the, the, Jesus Christ, when he comes, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So just think about this. Since John baptized for the forgiveness of sin, and Jesus had no sin, why did he get baptized? Why did he get baptized by John? And you get different hints of it through the Gospels. Jesus said in one place he was doing God's will. It was kind of a big moment of decision. It was time for him to change the focus of his life. He'd spent 30 years mostly as a carpenter. And now it was time for him to jump into public ministry. It was an opportunity for the father to affirm and approve his son. It was a moment for, for really him to show Jesus the next steps in the journey. And I think, though, the most significant thing, and this is what I really want us to kind of land on, is you're thinking about this, this whole sense of God is coming, that God has come, that God is here, and you're trying to decide, so what? What do I do with this? Is just realize this. You see, when he took the step of baptism, it was a moment of identification for Jesus to show his role. For Jesus' role was to be the one who would restore a sinful people to a relationship with their perfect father. And he needed to die for their sin. And so Jesus took on the role of one who needed repentance, even though he did not. They all did. And you do. Every single one of us do. And he did not. You see, you think about the so what... Well, listen, righteousness required a death. A penalty had to be paid for your sins. And we've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And Chris, Christ comes, and his baptism kind of symbolically identifies himself with sinners. And it culminates on the cross. So what? So you could have life. You see, Jesus did this for you. And God allows you to have all the righteousness of Christ. He allows you to exchange your filth and your sin and your guilt and your pain and your fear and all the things you've screwed up in your life for his righteousness and his perfection. So you can have nothing to fear, nothing to fear as a Christian. Christ lives in you, believer. There is nothing to fear. There's no one to fear. We don't have to have guilt. 
if there's true guilt, we just confess to God and realize he's already died for it. That's sin, and we're forgiven. We just need to understand that this is the ultimate one, God Almighty, and he's with you, and he lives within you. And Mark goes on and he says, It came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, and the Spirit, like a dove, descended upon Jesus Christ. So the Spirit descends, like in this physical, visible form, like a dove, kind of gently and beautifully, right? And yet, to the Hebrew mind, they're, they're dealing with the temple and the sacrifices. And so to them, this dove was not so much this kind of bird of peace that we see, uh, but instead this bird that was offered as a sacrifice at the temple, often by the poor. And, and you see, as this dove descends, Jesus is being set aside for this next stage of his life to be offered as a sacrifice. And he is willingly giving himself to the cross willing to pay the price for your sin. Willing to pay the price that you could have life. And a voice comes out of heaven. Thou art my beloved son. In thee I am well pleased. What has Jesus done as a man living on the earth the last 30 years? Just a carpenter. And God was well pleased. You know what he could have been doing? He could have just been a teacher. He could have just been a father. Could have taken on the role as a mother. Could have been a doctor or a lawyer or a mechanic or a salesman or a student. He could have been done just about any job any single one of you in here is doing. That's what he did with his life. That's how God Almighty decided it was the best way for the son to spend his life on earth. The majority of his life on earth was living just like you do in your world, in your situations, with your friends, with your circumstances, with your struggles. And yet he lived in dependence on his father. And God was well pleased before he started this public ministry on the road to the cross. And as he starts, just like life goes on, on this fallen earth, verse 12, immediately the Spirit impels him to go out of the wilderness, and he's in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he's with the wild beasts and the angels, and they're ministering to him. It's time to walk forth boldly. That's what Jesus did. Now's the time for battle. We live in a fallen world. Our God is in control. Believe me, none of the terrorists in this world are in control. Our God is in control. Believe me, there's no disease that's in control. God is in control. There's no power. There's no weapons. There's nothing that can stand against Almighty God. And, and what's interesting is, is he's impelled by the Spirit to go to Satan. You think Satan wanted to take on God? He'd already been defeated by God. He didn't want anything to do with God. Okay, this is Almighty God. Satan bows before him. He's a created being. He bows before this God. And Jesus overcomes the temptations of Satan by knowing and surrendering to the truth of the word. So as we land this thing, just realize that Jesus is the Son of God. 
And it's the most significant thing that we can get our hands around. That John came and he proclaimed it as a forerunner. That Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, dependent on his Father. He chooses to be identified with you, with sinners, so he could pay the price for your sin. And to set aside his life and change everything. Like our country was changed on 9-11-01 in a little infinite, infinitesimal blink of an eye way compares to how the world's been changed by Jesus Christ. Everything changes because of Christ. He died, he rose, he lived so you could have life. Never take it for granted. Here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity to remove fear, to remove anger, to remove bitterness, to remove guilt, and to realize that the best day of your life is going to be the day you die as a Christian because all of a sudden we just get new bodies and we get to spend eternity with our King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And we have this amazing opportunity to rest in that. You know, at the bottom of your little blue page here, we're going to just take a 30 seconds or so. And I just want you to think about this between you and God. And uh, just think about these questions. What do you think Mark intended to convey to his readers? In what ways does this passage fit the big picture of the Bible that points toward Jesus Christ? What did you learn about God in this passage? And really, what are your walk-away thoughts or actions that you're going to take from this section of Scripture? So I just want to give us a little bit of time to meditate that on that, and we'll close the prayer here in a minute. Father, I pray that we would be people who turn to you, who rely on you, who walk with you. I pray, God, that each person in this room would be be struck by the power of your spirit, directly to them, personally to them, that you would draw them to know you. Maybe it's know you as Savior for the first time because they surrender their lives to you. But maybe it's just know you in the midst of the circumstances they're in, with the fear, with the rejection, or with the pain. And let them trust you and rest in you and give them joy. Father, we, we, we be a people who never walk away, 
from the truth of the gospel and say, so what? But we walk away so blessed and so filled that it just pours out of us your love for others. And I pray, God, that would be the case for us in this little room gathered here tonight, that every single one of us would have our lives changed by you and that you would just use us for your glory. You know, I want to invite you before Chris closes us in song to Wednesday night up at Rimrock on the hill. We're starting a new study this week uh, on the life of David. And uh, the beautiful thing about it is, is there's free food. Yeah, it's at 5.30. And, uh, and there's a study. We're all going to be studying the same thing in David's life. From the youngest kids uh, to the high school to the college to the, uh, to the adults. And there's open small groups for the adults where we can all jump in. The idea is outreach. The idea is just to have a meal together and to get into the Word of God together. And if you miss a week, you miss a week. Oh, well. And... Uh, but I just uh, I challenge you to take these steps, whether it's there or somewhere else, to continue the adventure of getting to know God and spending time in his word. Thanks.